0: I want you to lift your hands like this. If you would just open up your hands. I'm going to begin this sermon with a blessing. I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. That the Lord would make his face shine upon you. That he would be gracious to you. That the Lord would lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus Christ. That's going to make more sense in a moment, but I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 40 because we begin today a series on faith. Have you ever struggled in your faith? Have you ever needed a jolt of faith? Because this series that we're about to begin today is for you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And this is my assignment Today, by the way, is to bring you comfort. He says, Comfort, my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and say to her, Her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For the next five weeks, we are going to go verse by verse through Isaiah chapter 40. And I believe with all of my heart that this chapter is going to stir a faith inside of us that is going to lift us in ways that we've never been lifted before. I want to pray one more time God, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Let's talk about where faith comes from. How do I get faith? Isaiah's writing Isaiah chapter 40, and it's one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Many of you know that one of the greatest pieces of music in human history handles Messiah is based on Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, I would even listen to it this week as I was preparing. I would just listen to that great piece of art as it would go along with these words. Isaiah's writing to a group of Israelites who are being being sifted. They are being shaken. They're being tested. They're being tried. Their nation has been destroyed. Their temple lies in ruins. Their songs are being forgotten. Their children have been taken captive. Their freedoms have been lost. They're living in a state of hearing the stories of the good old days when things used to be good because now they've been carried off into captivity, and they're suffering, and they're feeling the, the loss that was the result of what we found in Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 where judgment was pronounced. And they feel this, this sifting that has taken place. In fact, even over in verse 27, God would say, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They're, they're in a spot where they feel as if God has forgotten them. Like, God, where are you? What, how have you allowed this to happen? How have you allowed us to be here? And in that place of sifting and shaking and, and testing, They have they have endured now 39 chapters in Isaiah, of judgment, judgment that came as a result of their own sin, judgment that came as a result of their iniquity, of their waywardness. In fact, there's a, there's a reality in scripture that you need to know, which is that the wages of sin is always captivity. The wages of sin is always going to end badly. It's always going to end ultimately in death. And there's been a season of sifting, and it's, and it's shaking, and it's, and it's difficult for them. And as I read this passage, I was thinking about us because we are in a series of tests. We are in a time of sifting. We are in a time of shaking. I, I don't know that I've ever watched more shaking and sifting than I'm watching right now. I don't know that it, it's not just the pandemic, although that's real. I mean, we are in a season where we have watched people that we love get sick. We've done funerals that we never intended to do. We've been on ventilators that we never intended to be on. We've been disappointed with Christians that, that have, have done things and said things and been ways that we never thought they would be. There's a, a polarization. There's a splitting. There's, there's a lack of unity that you see and not just in our culture, even in the church. There's been men of God that, that many of us uh, re, uh, you know, revered or looked at there were the Joseph Solomons of the world, the Joshua Harris of the world, people that, that had a faith and they were influencers and, and then they started to question their faith and then they deconstructed their faith and then they abandoned their faith, some people and I've had people even asking, Mike, what, what do I do? What do I make of this in a season where even men and women of God are, are falling away? What, what, what am I to make of this? What, what do we do? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? I don't know how strong in the faith that I am. And, and, and it's been a season of, of much sifting. And there's a, there's a worry. There's an anxiety that's on the land. And it reminds me of Luke chapter 22 when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith will not fail. Church, I have a laser beam focused purpose of this sermon series because we are in a season of sifting. We are in a season of shaking. And might I say, I don't want to be too presumptuous, but I believe that Satan, our enemy, has has tried to sift us like wheat. And this is my prayer at the beginning of this series. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, that your faith will not fail in Jesus' name. Some of you that have roommates and, and, and family members that you're like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I pray that their faith will not fail in the name of Jesus. And by the way, I'm preaching on faith, and this is one of those sermons when it probably is appropriate sometimes to say amen. I mean, one of the brothers brought a word like faith is, and the church is never meant to be a spectator sport. When we come together, it's that we grow when every joint and every sinew comes and brings what each part brings. So even when I'm preaching on faith, I encourage you to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Be like, "Mm, amen. My focus in this series is to come and for the next five weeks, we are gonna look at this passage and we are going to look at faith in the sight of God through Jesus, our Lord. And I already know because I've talked to some people, I told someone I was preaching about faith and they're like, oh no, I'm terrible at faith. When I think of faith, my theme verse feels like, oh ye of little faith. And I got great news for you. Because you are not the founder and perfecter of your faith. You are not the author and the finisher of your faith. I got great news for you. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A series like this on faith. Faith is not about you trying to work up enough optimism to save God from looking bad. Faith is not about you saving God. God clearly doesn't care how bad he looks. Look at Jesus on the cross. Faith is about you recognizing That you're not saving God, God's saving you. That you're not saving the day, God is saving the day. I'm going to invite you to partner with God and to join in with this this journey of faith as we watch. And, And if you haven't done it already, I would encourage you to major on the book of Isaiah over the next month. That you would read this chapter and read this chapter and be amazed at the glory of God. And my promise to you is this, and God's promise to you is this. In a world where everything is shakable, when you put your faith in him, you tap into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. (laughs) I cannot wait to jump into that. I cannot wait for these next five weeks. My my vision is that by the time we go into the holidays this year, that our church is going to be at the highest faith levels we've ever been, not because we're optimistic, but because God is on the throne. And today it starts with verse 1, comfort. We're going to cover a lot of things. We're, we're going to, we're going to, we are going to talk about praying big prayers and, and, and faith that can move mountains and, and, and a faith that, that, that sees results. But today, I, I, what I need you to understand today is that the foundation of all faith is saving faith that the fuel for all of the big prayers that we're going to pray, it's, it's not because you happen to have a personality that always sees the bright side because even if you're a pessimist by nature, the gospel of Jesus Christ does something to pessimists and optimists and sinners and saints and men and women and introverts and extroverts. Faith the real kind of faith doesn't start with good advice. It starts with good news. And the the only thing I'm really going to try to say today with these first few verses is this. The deeper you go into the gospel, the greater the reach of your faith. I I know this is simple, but the deeper you go into the gospel, now the gospel means good news. And and I've watched people because I've talked to people that they, they, put faith in Je- they put faith in the gospel to get into the kingdom, but then they assume that the way that they're going to grow in the kingdom is with some other kind of faith, and I need you to understand that the nature of the faith that saves you is the same nature of the faith that moves mountains, which is why the deeper you go into the gospel, the greater the reach of your faith, which is why even if you're a pessimist by nature, not an optimist, the answer is not working yourself up into a wad of optimism. The answer is always to go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch what happens from there. So let's jump into this. First one, comfort, he says. "Comfort." Everyone say comfort comfort my people. Now, I've got eight children, which means I've got eight little sheep that belong to me, that came from me and my wife. They don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord, but you know what I mean. And, and if you've ever had children where they would freak out, a, a, a dog starts barking loudly and one of the kids freaks out and they would jump in my arms and they would not calm down until they were in my arms. If you've ever taken a child to get a shot, you know what it's like when the child will not calm down and yet you cannot give them a shot until they are comforted. It's been 39 chapters. We're now in chapter 40, but in 39 chapters, interestingly, Isaiah, the book, has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. The first 39 books of the Bible are called the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are really law. It's the judgment. It's, it's the pronouncement of what has been the natural uh, just deserts of what's happened with people that have turned away from God. But starting in chapter 40 and for the next 27 chapters, just like when you turn the page from the book of Malachi and you get to the book of Matthew, And when you get to the book of Matthew, you find John the Baptist who gets up and, by the way, starts saying things like what you read right here. In the wilderness, a voice cries, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the way of the Lord. And John the baptizer begins to prepare the way for the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John as the last 27 books of the Bible, just like the last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah. Starting with these words right here, comforts, comforts my people. If you're going to receive the shot that's going to save you, you can only do it when you've got comfort. And today I need to announce to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, not bad news, not guilt news, good news. Comfort. Say it one more time, comfort. Comfort, he says, comfort my people. It is at this chapter that this book has a distinctive shift into grace. The, the, the people of Israel would have been having just years and years and chapter and after chapter of, of what felt like difficult news. And now there is a change of tone. The music changes, and he says, comforts. Comfort my people. Friends, it is only when you've been comforted by the gospel that you even know how to repent. I cannot turn to a God that I do not know how he's looking at me. That is why I need you to understand that this blessing, and I'm probably going to do this every sermon in the series, that this blessing that the rabbis, this blessing that the priests would say when they would say, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine on you. We all know what it's like when someone's face is not shining on you. We all know what it's like when someone's countenance is not lifted up to you. We all know what it's like when someone does not like you. We all know what it's like to walk into a room when they will not make eye contact. We all know what it's like to, to walk into a space or into a place that when you look at them, and, and this is, you know, they'll, they'll say there's like a fast, part, fast track of the brain. There's a slow track in the brain. The slow track lets you reason. The slow track will say, wait a minute, you think, and it kind of goes real slow. But the fast track lets you look at someone's eyes. You can already know when you look at someone's face with all these micro expressions, you and me already know what people think about us just by looking. The bad news is that humanity has known that there is a holy God that has holy standards, has given holy words, and has given us every chance in the world to obey, and all we like sheep have gone astray. We all know that's the case, and we all know that there's a reality of, of a holy, how can a holy God look on an unholy people that have spit in his face? And there's a fear that all of us have, if you ever had a parent or a, or a supervisor or a boss or a friend that said something like, I'm so disappointed in you. And so we avoid the very one that is the balm of Gilead to our souls. We, we avoid the very one, that's the medicine that our souls long for. We all long for it to be true that we could say, oh God, may God bless you and, and keep you and, and may he make his face to shine upon you. But most of us have avoided God and, and we avoid God in a lot of ways. Some of us avoid God by being really, really bad. I'm going to go make my own way. I'm going to go, I'll, I'll go drink anything I want to drink, smoke anything I want to smoke, sleep with anything I want to sleep, with, do say anything I want to, say. some of us avoid God by being, by breaking all the rules. Some of us try to avoid God by keeping all the rules and by keeping all the rules, we think that he can't mess with me because I'm so good, but it's still avoiding a God that we don't know where we stand. And yet what Isaiah is announcing at the beginning of the good news, chapter 40 through 66, what Isaiah is announcing to them is, I want to comfort you. God is making his face to shine on you. Friends, I know this sounds impossible, but I need you to understand that God himself, his face is shining upon you. This is good news, that God's face, that I can say with confidence right now, the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord make his face shine Mike how can you say that how can you know that I can know that because Jesus Christ went on a cross where the father had to turn away because of what the curse that Jesus became on a cross Jesus got the blunt of the wrath and judgment so you and me never will this is good news What this means is that if you're wondering what his facial expression is, stop wondering. For the last 2,000 years, Abba, Father, God Almighty, the Most High, the King of the universe, his face is shining on you. Mike, you could say, yeah, but what if I haven't repented? Friends, you'll never repent until you know this is true. You'll never have the guts to turn to him until you know this is true. I cannot turn to a holy God who is an all-consuming fire when I wonder what's going to happen. But I know what happens because Jesus already was consumed by the wrath of the sin that I deserve on the cross of Christ of Calvary so that you and me never will experience that. You can't even repent until you're comforted. I keep watching people like, well, I need to to do something to earn God's approval. Jesus already earned God's approval, which comforts you. That's what gives you the guts to turn to God. See, only only when you know that the king of the universe adores you do you have the guts to look in the mirror honestly. But friends... Who cares what anybody thinks about you when the king is shining on you? Comfort, he says. Comfort. By the way, you gotta feel this. This is the kind of thing you gotta feel. Like It's one thing for me right now to... To, to, to talk about honey and say, Kit, how many of you like, anybody like honey? Like, I love honey. Like, it, it's sweet to the taste. I, I, I like, chi- at Chick- we go to Chick fil A, and I get, to me, one of my, I, I get a Chick fil A biscuit, and I only use half of it because I take the other half for my breakfast dessert, and I take it, and I put butter, and then I put honey. To me, one of the greatest experiences in life in the world is to have a hot biscuit with melted butter and honey. Anybody else like that? Is anyone hungry for that right now? They're closed today. (laughs) Closed on Sunday. That's my (laughs) Chick-fil-A. It's one thing to know honey is sweet. It's another when your blood sugar changes because you have tasted and seen that the honey is good. It's one thing to say, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so, Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. It's another, when you behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. It's another when you know you don't deserve it. When you know you've sinned, when you know you've spit in his face, when you know, like, you, and yet he has made you his daughter, he has made you his son, like, what? And you behold that, like, behold. It's it's one thing to kind of know it. It's another to behold. It's it's one thing to understand a sunset. It's another to behold the sunset. It's one thing to know something is good. It's another to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Comfort, he says. there's There's a reality. I'm even praying right now, God, in the name of Jesus, Comfort your people with the power of the gospel. Our world needs to see people that have been gospeled. People that have been... Do you understand the gospel is a relief? Some of you have been so tired. Let me give you a theological term. Chill. (laughs) Comfort, he says comfort her warfare next verse speak tenderly jerusalem her warfare is ended her iniquity is pardoned i want you to notice this is past tense her her warfare is ended it is finished isaiah is announcing it is finished For us, we apply this in the greatest of all fulfillments because Jesus goes on a cross where Jesus says it is finished. Your warfare, the scripture tells us that by nature all of us We're children of wrath. Now, let me give you the bad news. The bad news is that by nature, all of us have sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray. We are not simply innocent little sheep. When you see even little children, we're like, oh, that sweet little innocent child. Every human ever born on this planet, other than Jesus himself, was by nature a child of wrath at war with God. The mystery of the gospel is that God turns enemies into sons and daughters. But but you, now, now unless you understand this, it doesn't make much, Doesn't sound very good because a lot of us are like, well, my, my little kids were born innocent. Your children were born like my children, in need of a savior that can take enemies and turn them into sons and daughters. You could say, Mike, you're taking too, that's too low of a a view of humans. No, 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 my view of humanity is very realistic. On one hand, you and I were made in the image of God. Every one of us was marked by God himself, but we have been marred by sin that has corrupted us and defiled us in a way that is just inexplicable, and it's horrifying if you saw the truth of it, and yet the good news is that despite the marring, that mark is still crying out to a God that loves us and adores us, and he comes and says, you're gonna be twice mine. I made you in my image. And I will redeem you into my image because of the cross of Christ. Your warfare is ended. This is past tense. On the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, every sin on him was laid. This is why we can rejoice. This is why we can say that our warfare is ended. your warfare is the war has been won, and the iniquity it says the iniquity has been pardoned it's like this is why it 's good news. I, I love the story that 's told of the king that that was a, a good benevolent king leading his all the all the villages of of his land and and there were these These tribes that were coming to attack them and they were threatening them and they were unjust and they were wicked and they were evil and this good benevolent king gathered his troops and he went out to battle. And everybody knew what this meant. If their king could defeat the invaders that the king would enforce the peace and the joy of his people and the safety and the security. But if the king lost, the people would be doomed. And so he goes out to battle, and and he's gone for a number of weeks. And every day the people would be waiting to hear word of the results of the battle, the results results of the war. And finally one day there was a messenger that was running and making his way back and and coming, and they were making their way to all the areas of the kingdom, all the uttermost parts. And, And when he came back, the question on their minds was, what would be the nature of the news that he would bring? Would he bring good advice or would he bring good news? Because if the king lost, they would need good advice. If the king were to lose, he would come back and say, I have very troubling news. Our king has lost. He's been defeated. He's he's lost his life. He's been taken captive. And We're we're, we're done for. All things, all all hope is lost. But let me give you advice because the the invaders are coming from the east. So that means you need to flee to the west. Gather up your things. You've got a day, maybe a day, maybe two days. Gather as much stuff as you can take in a a quick journey and, and be off and leave as quickly as you can because the bad news is that he's lost. Let me give you the good advice. There's some places you can go on the other side of the mountain. That would be good advice. But that's not what the messenger said. The messenger came back not with good advice, but with good news. Because he came back and said, it is finished. Our king has won. Eat and drink and be merry and share your food and your drink and live lives of joy and peace because our King has secured the victory. Your homes are secure, your families are safe, and our King is good. And friends, the message that we have for the world and the reason there's so much confusion right now is because people go into church and what they hear oftentimes is good advice. Bad things have happened. Let me give you the good advice of how things can go a little bit better. My message today is not good advice of how things can go a little better. My message today, I'm coming back as the messenger running and saying, oh, I've got good news. It is finished. The king has won. Victory is ours because of Jesus, our king. You could say, give me the proof. Here it is. It's a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Baby, you are free in Jesus' name. He says, her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. See, friends, many of us, and, and you're like, well, Mike, I thought this is a series on faith. It is, but I need you to understand this. I keep talking to people that are struggling in their prayers of faith because they're not rooting their prayers of faith in the gospel of faith. Do you understand your prayers? Let's say you're praying a prayer, and before the series is over, we're gonna pray for mountains to move. I'm gonna encourage you to, to, to ask, be asking God, Lord, what massive miracles do you want to see? Lord, what are things in my life that you want me praying about? And all but I want you to understand this. I keep talking to people that when they're praying prayers or they're moving in their lives, they have so much doubt. And when I hear their doubts, I will find that at the functional level, they are basing their, their hope in their prayer life, for example, on their performance, not in Jesus's performance. And I need you to understand that when Jesus says your, your iniquity is pardoned, what he means is your iniquity, your sin, our unrighteousness, that, that keeps us, that, that can block us from, from things happening. There's no doubt about it. But what he says is your iniquity, past tense, completed action, has been pardoned. Which means during this series, I want us to do a surgery where I want us to take our faith... And I want us to attach our faith to the gospel so that when you're praying for mountains to move in your family, in your heart, in your life, in your body, in this world that you will attach that to the gospel and you will realize that this is the gospel. It's called a substitution. Jesus went on a cross that I deserve so that I could become the child of God that he deserves. Jesus took the wrath that I deserve so I can get the authority that he deserves. Jesus took my place on the Calvary cross so that I could receive what he deserves, which means this, listen, I pray and my prayers get answered, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus does. This is why if we're gonna live lives of faith, the just shall live by faith. We have to have our lives rooted in the gospel, in the gospel. You could say, Mike, I'm kind of pessimistic right now. Great. I'm not asking you to change your personality. I'm asking you to look to the gospel. That's why I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Everybody. Jews and Gentiles and and whites and blacks and yellows and greens and purples and you name it. Jesus in the gospel gives us a power. The deeper you go in the gospel, the greater the reach of your faith. The deeper you go in the gospel. This is why when you get to microchurch, we got to preach the gospel to each other. This is why when you, parents, I do want you to raise your kids with rules and regulations and boundaries. That's fine. But please give them the gospel. This is why moms and dads and husbands and wives and roommates, yes, I like accountability. Yes, I think it's good to have, you know, ask, you know, probing questions. Hey, man, are you looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at? And all, but by all means, oh, brothers and sisters, we never graduate beyond the gospel because that's the power even for all the mountain-moving faith. The deeper you go in the gospel, the greater the reach of your faith. And here's the part of the passage that most intrigues me. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, this is the part that, I, to be frank with you, I, I never have enjoyed this part of this chapter. And I've read the book of Isaiah many times since I've been a Jesus follower. And I always kind of took this as a bit of a bummer. Like, to me, this was like, yep, she's received from the Lord double for, from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I always took this to mean. Man, yeah, Israel was chosen by God, but you know what happens when you're chosen. It's stricter when you're chosen, man. You're going to get, you're getting double punishments, It's kind of like, you know, one child is kind of the good child. So that kid gets two pom-pom dudos or two spankings when the other child only gets one. Because they're, I always took this as Israel got punished double for her sins. Well, A, God is just. He would never do that. He would not double punish someone because God is just. Can I get an amen? amen. But B, I just, started, I just started reading it again and again, i reading the commentaries and reading, you know, how is this written in its language? It's not saying that Israel got punished double for her sins. Friends, this is way better than that. It's saying after all the sin stuff is happening, God is giving her, God is giving Israel It's essentially a double portion. Let let me explain. How many of you saw the movie Shawshank Redemption? Anybody see that movie? I like Shawshank Redemption. You know, Morgan Freeman's been the same age for like 80 years. There's Shawshank Redemption. In Shawshank Redemption, there's men that are in prison. And at one point, there's a guy that gets out of prison. You may remember, he he gets out of prison after a very long time. And when he gets out, we find that he has a really hard time adjusting to life on the outside of the prison because his, his iniquity is pardoned, but he's still a felon. His iniquity is pardoned, but he's, he's still got this scarlet letter. His iniquity is pardoned, but he, he goes out into a world, and, and when you get out of jail, they, they kind of give you 50 bucks or something, and they, they put you outside the gates of the prison. You kind of just got to go make your way. The message of, of the gospel is so much better than this. See, the problem in Shawshank in, in Redemption, one of the guys that gets out, once he gets out, he ends up committing suicide because he just can't handle it. I, I need you to understand, you and me need something more than mercy. You and me need something more than a pardon from our sins. That would be a single blessing. I, I would submit to you that you may need a double blessing from the Lord's hand what do I mean? What I mean is the message of the gospel is not simply that we come to God and grovel and say, oh Jesus, I did it. I've sinned. I'm wrong. I'm, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we've, and we've done this to some people because this is what humans do. I forgive you. I won't take you to court. I'm going to like this. I'm not going to take you to court, but get out of my face. I never want to see you again. That is not the gospel. Now let me get clear, that's mercy. Like maybe someone deserves to go to jail and they're not gonna go to jail. They deserve to get punished and they're not gonna get punished. They deserve to get sued and they're not gonna get sued. That is called mercy. It's the withholding of what someone does deserve. Withholding of wrath. But the gospel is better than just mercy. It's a double portion. The gospel is not only does God forgive us, but he delights in us. He will never say to you, You are forgiven, now get out of my face. He says to you, you are forgiven and I adopt you as my own. You are forgiven and I cherish you as my prized, special son or daughter. That when you come to Jesus, it's, it's beyond simply being forgiven. You're forgiven and adopted and redeemed and your head is crowned with glory and honor. It's not simply forgiveness but get out of my face. It's so much, it's literally the Lord's face shines on you. I don't know if you've ever walked in a room, I mean I said this before, but when, when you walk in, and you can tell when someone delights in you or when they don't. I mean, it was one of the bummers I had is years ago there was, a, there was some, an individual at our church and, and any time I would say something, they, they would just, oh, they finally said it. They just said to me one day, you just annoy me. You irritate me. Just every time you open your mouth, it irritates me. I was like, man, you might be in the wrong church. I talk a lot around here. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I mean, inside, I was just sort of, I was genuinely bummed for them. Like, I would be preaching, and, and I couldn't keep it out of my mind. I'm like, I know they're being irritated with literally every syllable right now. And it was a real bummer. I, I saw them at a, at a grocery store one day, and I just, guess what I did? I went down a different aisle. I, I didn't, I didn't want to inflict me on them. I'd walk up, and be like, yo, what's up? They're like, oh. It's really a bummer when you know that someone's disgusted with you. It's what ends marriages. It's what makes kids run away. It's what makes people never wanna come back to a family reunion. It's what gets people pretty dark. And as long as you think he's disgusted with you, don't be surprised when every time he's in aisle two, you're gonna go to aisle three. Don't be surprised when it's time to wake up in the morning and seek the Lord, it's going to feel like a duty instead of a delight. Don't be surprised when you're trying to obey the fuel for your obedience is going to be guilt trips so that you don't get caught or go to jail or, as opposed to the fact that the greatest being in the universe had every reason to not shine on you. And that because of the work the perfect work of Jesus: He has been shining on you since you were conceived in your mother's stomach. There has never been a moment when the Most High God, the most beautiful being in all of creation, the uncreated one, there has never been a moment when He's not been shining on you. And the tragedy of tragedies is that we don't see it because we don't know the gospel. But the deeper you go in the gospel, the deeper you go in the gospel, the greater the reach of your faith because you may blow, but you you get up quicker when you know the gospel. You, You pray a little longer when you know the gospel. You obey a little more fervently when you know the gospel because the king adores you. Let me just be clear. She has received double for all her sins. He took your sins, and he gave you mercy, and he gave you grace. He gave you forgiveness, and he gave you an adoption. He gave you all sorts of, all. don't forget the benefits of the Lord. And that's why it says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And friends, may I submit to you, the glory of the Lord is revealed in the gospel of Jesus in ways that nothing else is. There, there, everyone in the universe knows you reap what you sow. What nobody got was that God was going to come down and reap what we sowed. What nobody understood was that, I mean, everybody knows what it's like to be disgusting and to be disgusted. We follow the king who absorbed disgust in his body on a tree, and he makes us free and whole. Oh, don't be a spectator of this. Drink this in, take this in. Because it changes you. I, I love how Charles Spurgeon tells the story of, of a wonderful king who had a wonderful kingdom and he was a benevolent king and... One day, a, a farmer, a poor peasant farmer came to him, and, and he just made vegetables and grew vegetables, but one day, he got, like, the biggest carrot you'd ever seen, and he comes into the, the, the court of the king, and he says, oh, king, and he just bows down, he brings this big carrot, he says, king, can I just say that I respect you, and I'm so thankful for you, and I, and I love you as my king, and, and I just need you to know that I, I, I so revere you, I've, I just, I got the biggest carrot I've ever had, and I just wanted to bring it to you. Like, I felt like this was fit for a king. I wanted, I wanted you to have this. This is for you, king. And the king says, well, well, thank you. And, and he takes it. just wanted to give it to you. And he starts to leave. And right before he gets out the doors of the court of the king, the king says, hey, just one more thing. I have a plot of land that's got about 100 acres just to the west of the castle. I'd like to give you that 100 acres. And I'd like you to go and grow all sorts of vegetables however you want it's yours. He said, what? He He said, no, king, that's impossible. He said, it's yours. I've made it so. And the king smiles as the peasant walks out, and his life would never be the same. And he would grow vegetables and bless people, and as you can imagine, lived a life that was happily ever after, literally. But in that same court, there was also a nobleman that was a guy that raised horses, beautiful horses, stallions, and and he thought to himself, he said, man, if, if, that, if that ignorant farmer got 100 acres for a carrot, what would I get for a horse? So the next day he walks into the court and he says, oh, king, I have a gift for you. This is not a vegetable. This is a beautiful animal, a stallion. And he brings up to the front of the court this beautiful, shining, mighty stallion. He says, king, this is for you. To which the king says, thank you. You're dismissed. He says, I, I just want to point out, this is my finest stallion out of, you know, I, I'm known far and wide. And he says, thank you. I received your gift. You, you're dismissed. And he starts to leave. But before he leaves, he turns back to the king. He says, king, I'm surprised. I'm, I, I, can you please help me? I'm, I'm a little offended, actually. Yesterday, a guy gives you a carrot and you gave him 100 acres. Today, I give you a horse and you give me nothing. He says, well, it's very simple, my friend. Yesterday, that peasant gave me the carrot. Today, you gave yourself a horse. You're dismissed. That is the difference between religion and the gospel. When you are religious you will try to twist God's arm to bless you. When you know the gospel, you get amazed by a God who knows you better than you and has yet had mercy and given you grace that is breathtaking. I I wish I could preach this in a way that that it could do it because until your breath has been taken away, it hasn't happened yet. I want us to taste and see. I want us to be a church that, whatever we do, if we do justice, if we do good, if we're generous, if we give the missionaries Sam, if we help our neighbors, it's because we're bringing our carrots to the king. It's yes, there may be hundred acre. Land. He is a rewarder of those who seek him, but that was never the point. It was never the point. He's just good. He's gracious, and he's worthy. If he never blesses me again, if I would have died when I was in the middle of meningitis, I could still tell you God is good. He's gracious and his mercy endures forever. The favor of God, the Lord, your love, O oh Lord, is better than life. Have you known that to be true? Because if you have, it came through the gospel, which is why the deeper you go in the gospel, the greater the reach of your faith. May I submit to you every faith problem we have is a gospel problem. If you're having a problem in your faith, Satan's gonna try to sift you and that's why it's so important that Jesus clarifies. Satan is trying to sift you like like wheat but I have prayed that your faith will not fail. I'm gonna end it like this. Mike, how do we apply this? We apply it with what Jesus said because... When John the Baptist came in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord, he quoted this. And then Jesus gets up in Mark 1, 15 and says this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm announcing to you now the kingdom of heaven is here. If you belong to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is within you. This is why we're supposed to not spectate but to participate in the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. If you are here and you do need to repent, I do want you to repent. If you are living in your sins, today I call you to repent. It's so foolish, it's crazy. It's so counterproductive, it's crazy. It's so futile, it's crazy. If you need to repent, I won't lie, sin is going to kill you. Sin is going to captivate it's going to take you captive and it's so not worth it. I hope I've convinced you of that with the gospel today. That Jesus goes on a cross so that you never will. That Jesus becomes your substitute so so you never have to endure that. And if you need to repent today, repent, but don't stop at repentance and believe the gospel. How do you believe the gospel? You believe it like this. In my hand I have penicillin. actually a tic-tac, but I'm going to call it penicillin. (laughs) You could believe that a man invented penicillin and say, I believe that that man existed. I could say you're sick. You've got an infection. Do you believe this penicillin can save your life? I've read the stories. I believe millions of people have been saved. I believe in penicillin. I believe in the guy that created penicillin. Yeah, but you're still sick because what's missing you have to take the penicillin. There are some of you today that you believe in Jesus and you believe in God and you believe there was a cross and you believe there was a resurrection from the dead, but you've never taken it for yourself, which is why in John it says, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And today, if you've never received him, I want you to turn and do it and your life should never be the same.